Hey everyone, I hope you're having a wonderful day. Uh, we've now made it a lot easier for you to follow along with the episodes. The chapter markers along with the topics will be in the description below. Be sure to check it out. And for today's episode, Tanya Tinsley. Welcome back to another episode of the Pressing Forward Podcast. Um, today we have a special guest, very dear to me. Um, you know, somebody who's uh, been sort of a guidance, a vessel for me um, in terms of just finding, um, you know, my path and things that I want to do moving forward. Um, Dr. Tanya Tinsley, licensed counselor. How are you doing today? I am wonderful. Thank you very much. And I, I'm just honored and humbled to be here with you today. And, you know, I'm a believer. Everything happens for a reason. And how we met at Velanova, I, I think that was ordained. It was not a coincidence. It was not by accident. So thank you for having me here. No problem. I appreciate you coming on. And uh, I definitely agree with that sentiment as well. Um, so, I, yeah, I just want to start off with uh, just diving into a little bit of your background. Um, you're originally from Brooklyn Park, uh, Minnesota. OK, can you like give us a, a background of what that was like? And Absolutely. And let me actually go backtrack. So my family is from Champaign, Illinois, okay. Urbana, Illinois, where University of Illinois. Um, my mom was a single mother when she had me and she moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, so she could go to school to become a nurse. And so I grew up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. She met my uh, stepfather, my father then. And we lived in Minneapolis until I was in uh, seventh grade. And being in Minneapolis, uh, I lived in a predominantly black community. I went to a very diverse school, free school. And then I went from a free school to a Catholic school. Um, and then to a public school. So my schooling was just very diverse, but I grew up with people who look like me, but I also was exposed to diversity. When we moved to Brooklyn Park, Minnesota, predominantly white, I was one of probably five black students in my classroom, and it was definitely a transition, uh, transition for me based on race. My first day of school in seventh grade, I was called the N-word, and I'd never, ever been in fights before and had my first fight in school. So, um, so that was a transition, but it was basketball. I played basketball, and I was a swimmer, and it was participating in those sports that help bring me together with the diversity people where they can learn from me and I could learn from them. And, and you, uh, a lot of what you talked about, you, you said um, you originally grew up in a diverse background and diverse community. Um, how do you feel like that shaped your, your worldview growing up and, and just um, how you, you know, looked at other things and your perspective? Absolutely. Um, I think it, so, you know, my specialty as a counselor, as a uh, religious leader is multicultural and social justice competency. And I think being a product of a Montessori school, the free school and having that diversity really shaped my influence in working with diverse cultures, especially as a counselor, especially as a faith-based leader. Sometimes it's not gonna be a one size fits all where I'm gonna have somebody sitting across from me who looks like me, right. but we can understand each other from a cultural perspective, from a social justice perspective, and still benefit each other. So I think that my foundation at the free school, living in Minneapolis in a diverse environment, going to the Montessori school really shaped my identity right now, professionally and personally. Okay. And um, yeah, I don't know if the, I don't know if the audience is is uh, too 
if they know about this, but you were also a baller, uh, Hooper at one point. Could you talk about like that journey? Um, and then, you know, you going to Osberg um, University. Could you talk about that? Absolutely. So, you know, I wanted to play basketball from probably kindergarten. Um, my biological father was a basketball player and uh, he was very tall. I was tall. I just felt like I had the gifts, but my mom was not too keen on me playing basketball. Uh, she wanted me to play the violin. She wanted to be in getting music, but those were not where my gifts were. And I was in fifth grade. And I was putting the dishes away. And at that time, they have glass Pyrex bowls. And I was putting it up above the stove and it dropped and hit the fan and cut my finger. Hmm. And we had to rush to the hospital and they didn't know if they could save my finger. I was crying. I was hollering. My mom said, just stop crying. You can play basketball. You can play basketball. And I was like, oh. <laughs> well, that's how I started playing basketball. But as we know, sports can increase self-esteem, create, uh, increase uh, interpersonal relationship and being able to play sports, it really changed my focus in terms of my self-esteem, my confidence. And again, because I was in fifth grade and I was at St. Anne's, a Catholic school at that time, I was playing with a diversity of people, predominantly white, but it brought uh, unique cultural groups together. And that just really kept me. So my, my parents were no joke. You're a student athlete. So if you're going to play basketball, you got to keep your academics up. I didn't want anything keeping me from basketball and being out in that court, being out there in the summer, summer leagues, kept my academics up got a part-time job. So I learned how to balance multiple roles at a young age. And so um, that just kept me. And I, you know, I've said as an adult now, um, and I know we'll talk about this, but sports kept me from getting in trouble. Sports kept me from having to deal with factors that could have impacted my development, my family development, my self-esteem. So sports gave me an outlook from challenges that I've had in my family. And I, I definitely agree with what you said there. I think for a lot of students, a lot of kids, especially kids that grow up in diverse backgrounds or um, minority neighborhoods, uh, sports tends to be their gateway. Um, and it tends to be a means of keeping them out of trouble. Um, and one of the things you mentioned before was, you know, basketball for you was a self-protective factor. Can you explain what that means and, and how that looks? Yeah. So you just mentioned for a lot of, you know, black and brown kids, people of color, BIPOC, sports is an outlook and gives us an outlook, especially when we come from communities where there's trauma, poverty, um, just family violence or community violence, that can impact our wellness, our health physically, emotionally, spiritually. So sports helps to build a person's self-esteem. So those factors that are risk that could be damaging to a person's development, sports gives the opportunity to protect them from those things in their community. I think one of the things that I became passionate about especially you, you asked me about my experience in playing in college. For me, 
I knew I had to go to college because I had to get out of my house. I had to get out of my community. And the only way I was going to get to college either was academically or athletically, getting an athletic scholarship in one of those two areas. I was able to get a combination going to Augsburg College, now Augsburg University. But it was a transition again, predominantly white institution, really working with a diverse group of um, women that were on my team. But I was also balancing I want to understand and be a part of my black culture. Mm -hmm. So I would leave campus being in Minneapolis and I would be around people that look like me. So I was shifting going back and forth. Um, I had a time where I said, you know what? I am going to live my life in Minneapolis. I'm leaving Augsburg. I'm not going to play basketball. And when that happened, I had this loss of identity. I felt like I was grieving. I was like, I'm supposed to be in school. I'm supposed to be playing basketball. That's when it, it hit me. How do we use sports to help people with positive development, but also prepare them for when they transition and retire from sports? And that's where that foundation came from me because having gone through that experience twice, when I left school, I came back. And then when I retired from sports, I graduated in 1990, last played in 89. They didn't have the WNBA or the W um, wow. Women's Basketball Association. Is. So if I was going to play professional, I had to go overseas. Mm -hmm. But not having somebody there to guide me with that, I had to then use mentors in other areas to help with my transition, my identity development, and dealing with that grief and loss from sports. And you talked about a very important um, subject matter there. You said the identity. Uh, a lot of times for a lot of athletes, when they leave their sport, their respective sport that they've been playing for over 10 years plus, you know, a large part of you lose a large part of you, like you said. Um, and for, for some of these student athletes, what would be your advice when they lose that protective factor? Well, how do you how do they now sort of fill that void? Like, where do they go with that? Well, first, let me say for the young people, sport is what you do. It's not who you are. <laughs> so balance out, figuring out who you are outside of sport, because losing sport can happen with a career ending injury. It can happen if you get a new coach or they cancel the program. So really think about other areas of your life that you're interested in. So remember who you are is who I believe you're designed to be, but sport is what you do. However, if sport is your identity, which was it, it was mine. I was foreclosing my identity with sports. My mentor at Augsburg College, um, Anita Gay, really helped me to understand who I am as a woman, who I am as a black woman, and helping me to identify what I'm doing in my career. Those all ask, those things make up really the wellness model and who are we socially, who are we um, individually, who are we career-wise? And she was really the guiding person to help me understand who I am outside the sports. So I think that that's why mentors are important and having people to understand athlete development, sports counseling, athlete mental health. So essentially just knowing yourself outside of you know your sport and then also being able to be guided by the right mentors and having the right people to, you know, offer you these resources and things outside of your sport as well. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's, I think my passion came, I wanted to do a better job at training coaches, um, training academic advisors and counselors. Bec but the one thing we have to understand, coaches, 
aren't the be all the end all, but coaches need to understand their athletes, their student athletes, and their identity development is more than just sports, but also being able to refer them to other areas to help them with who they are, in addition to playing the sports. And I get it. I work with professional athletes. I've worked with high profile college athletes and programs. Sports is primary, but let's not forget about who the person is. And if they need support in a different area, how do we help them and refer them to those appropriate people? I, I even on what you just said, I recently just seen, I think it was Deion Sanders that he was talked about. Um, I guess back in his time that a lot of this, uh, athletes were doing different things besides just one sport. They had other interests, they had other passions. Um, and I think that's what you just spoke on. It's like, you know, developing and allowing these uh, students to have other passions outside of just being, you know, an athlete. And that's important for coaches to, to really realize is like, you know, this, this student that you're coaching, they're more than just, you know, a student that comes here and plays the game and things like that. So um, I think that's important as well. And you started off, uh, I mean, you ended graduating um, in business, right? Business administration. Yeah, business, business, so can you talk about, okay, business management. And um, how did how did counseling come about? I know originally you started coaching with basketball. Can you talk about that as well? Absolutely. So, you know, coming from the family dynamics that I did, it was all about money and being successful that and the definition of success was in my, in my family was making money. Right. So when I went to school, I had in my head what my dad was saying, you got to major in a degree that you're going to make money, computer science, business. I was doing that because I was following what, you know, we say in our family. Yeah. Business was great and I love it. The business comes in handy right now. But I, as I was finishing my degree, I had plenty of room for electives. So I started taking psychology courses and I loved it. And I was like, wow, why didn't I major in psychology? And the first thing I heard was, that's not going to make you money. How are you going to make money with psychology? So I, when I graduated, I was working in a bank. I had the opportunity to coach high school basketball because I worked summer camps during the summer and somebody said, we would love you. And I was like, coaching? I never thought about coaching. So I coached at Washburn High School in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I was a different kind of coach. Um, I think I was taking my experiences from playing in high school and college and before my girls could get down the court, we had many college fairs and they had to go meet their counselors. So they knew who their school counselor was. So I was really helping to prepare them for life outside of basketball. I loved coaching, but I also felt there was a piece missing to having that direct um, uh, ability to help them with their development. So I decided, um, okay, I'm gonna take another job. I'm gonna be working with athletes, providing the advising and counseling. I loved it. So then that's when I said, I knew I need to get a master's. So I went to University of Iowa and I did higher education, college student development, but I was focusing on the athlete population and career development. Loved it, worked in uh, the women's athletic department, served as an academic advisor, and had the direct access with helping student athletes outside of their sport. So in division one athletics, if you wanna move up, you have to be willing to move around. So I left University of Iowa, went to University of Pittsburgh, met my then great friend, brother, and mentor, Dr. Ron Brown, who really helped to shape my career in athletics. And he just guided me and he, you know, he wanted me at University of Pittsburgh, but he wanted me to get the experience. Um, 
So I worked at University of Pittsburgh, went up to, went to University of Maryland Eastern Shore, served as senior women's uh, athletic administrator, assistant director of athletics. And then I got burned out from college athletics. And that was um, right before 9-11 happened. And so I decided I was going to go back to Pittsburgh and I was going to work at Carnegie Mellon and 9-11 happened. And that was the scariest thing because being on the Eastern shore, they closed the bridges and the tunnels to be able to leave the Eastern shore. And that's when I started, I'm very much an existentialist and family was important to me and really being able to have access and closeness to family. So went back to Pittsburgh after 9-11 and a couple months later, I lost my brother to gun violence. I am 10 years older than my, I was 10 years older than my brother, but that was probably the hardest experience. I dealt with grief and loss in other areas, but to lose my brother. And when that happened, that's where the call came to go into counseling. And right after I lost my brother, February, 2002, and I started the PhD program in counselor education and supervision at Duquesne in August of 2002. And uh, you, you sort of touched on, on a lot there. Um, and just the, the model that you went about coaching with these high school kids in terms of just not focusing on, you know, them being an athlete and incorporating um, ways to offer them resources and things to be successful outside of their sport. Um, and then you talk about, you know, um, your loss of your brother, um, which I imagine impacted you immensely. Um, and one of the questions I was also going to follow up there is during that time you decided to, you know, go to therapy. Um, yes. cause you were dealing with, um, depression or grief and, um, what, what, what sort of decision-making went into, um, you choosing a therapist and, you know, how did you come about like even, you know, finalizing the, Hey, this, this is what I need to do. Absolutely. So I was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at the time. I had a, a wonderful extended family at my church. We didn't have a grief and a loss ministry. And I met someone at the church who was at Macedonia Baptist Church and they had a grief and loss um, ministry. So I started to attend the ministry to the groups with her. So that was important because it attended to my spiritual and Christian perspective and just trying to understand where God was in this loss and making meaning. But it was during that time where um, somebody there talked about me going to counseling. Well, what was important if I go to counseling, I wanted somebody who understood the Black family because this was a significant impact to our family. I wanted somebody who understood me as a Black woman, and I wanted somebody who could understand um, the spiritual and Christian perspectives. I couldn't find that one person. I had the piecemeal. I went to a Black psychologist who was in her training program at Duquesne. I continued to do the groups at um, Macedonia. And then some of the ministers at Mount Merritt, they were able to provide that other piece in understanding the Black family. That's the call where, for me, God spoke and said, that's why I'm preparing you and calling you. You're going to be able to be somebody that can understand the Black family, integrate spiritual and Christian perspectives, understand the grief process, but also train other clinicians to do the same. Wow. And it's, uh, it's, it's always interesting how uh, how God works, you know. Um, oh, yeah. When we plan, he laughs. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Right. Yeah. Most definitely. And um, how important would you say um, is the therapeutic alliance between both the counselor and the client? 
Oh, very important. I, I come from that perspective. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. Right. And so sometimes you may not get to the working stage of a counseling session in the first two or three sessions because you're developing that cross-cultural therapeutic relationship, that alliance and asking some of those. So for me, I have clients of all races, ethnicities, gender, sexual identities, and we'll have a conversation in the first couple of sessions. What's it like for you working with a black woman? What's it like for you working with a Christian where you know you're not, you don't have that faith so that we can deal with some of those issues up front so they don't get in the way when we are in the working stage of the counseling. Gotcha. So it's just um, part of it is having that cultural, cultural uh, competence and being able to understand, um, you know, where your differences stand with the counselor as a counselor and then as a client as well. Um, yes, yes. Uh, one of the things I want to, uh, you know, sort of ask you about as well is uh, how did, you know, sort of uh, transitions counseling, how did that come about as well? Absolutely. So I mentioned Dr. Ron Brown, who's my mentor at University of Pittsburgh. One of the things that he really instilled in me is being an entrepreneur hmm. and having a side business, being able to get contracts. So you have your full-time job, but doing things outside of the work. And he says, you have an opportunity to take your skills to Pittsburgh public schools, to work. He has fifth quarter and you, you can get paid under your business. So I was like, oh, okay. So I developed transitions because as you know, I talked about transition from moving from the city to a suburb, transition from being a predominantly white area to a predominantly uh, white area. I've been through so many transitions in my life and I really did the research on transitions and retirement. And I wanted to help people to understand transitions are no more part of our life. And I can help you manage those transitions that you're going through. And that's how the name came up. That's a nice play on words there. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, what I was going to dive into more, um, you know, many people, especially in our community, um, hold a stigma to therapy, um, whether that's student athletes, whatever. Um, there's a misconception. And how do you feel like, how do we dispel some of these misconceptions and um, destigmatize some of these thoughts around the importance of mental health and tending to it. Absolutely. Well, I think us, you and I having this conversation and it being publicized so people understand the therapeutic alliance, people understand that counseling is confidential. My job is not to tell you what to do, but it's to help guide you through what you are going through. We have to help educate people to understand the role of a professional counselor or a psychologist, or a social worker, or a licensed marriage and family therapist, because sometimes we get lumped all into one group, and we come from different perspectives. And then sometimes we get lumped into that group of psychiatrists. And so we have to help people to understand the difference between uh, therapists who are helping you to grow and guiding you, or a psychiatrist is a medical doctor. And they're focused on the mind biologically. Now, I talk about therapists, I talk about psychiatrists. We have to help people to understand. You don't have to have a mental illness to see a therapist. We right. all have mental health, right? So going to a therapist is really just focusing on your emotional and mental health. 
Whereas if you're going to a psychiatrist, which is a medical doctor, there may be something going on biologically or in your brain that's impacting your emotional health. And now we need to look at this as from a medical perspective. Those are the things we have to help people to understand and dispel those myths. And again, we have to help people to understand the stigma out there is I'm not going to a therapist. I, 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 I'm not crazy. No, you're not crazy. So let's just change that language. You're going to a therapist for help seeking behaviors. You're just needing help. What you have tried to do on your own is no longer working and you just need a guide. We have to change that, uh, that stigma that I don't need a therapist. All I have to do is pray harder. Mm. Well, here's the thing. I agree. Prayer is important. But when you pray, sometimes God will place a trained professional in you who is a part of the body to help you with bridging the gap between faith and mental health. So we have to help people to understand how they go together. Let's change the language and let's help people to understand what it may have been like 30, 40 years ago where you don't tell people your business understand when you're telling your business now it's confidential unless we're concerned about your safety or somebody else's safety and it's there just to give you an outlet i think that distinction between a psychiatrist and a therapist is important because i think for a lot of people too that would you agree that there's sort of like a fear factor of maybe people wanting like being scared of being diagnosed with something Absolutely. And that, that's exactly right. That's why I say I always start with we all have mental health. Yeah. We all have physical health and illness. You know, there's statistics and we can say one in five adults have been diagnosed with a uh, mental illness. But an illness is something where you want to get treatment at, as well. Mental health is you're trying to prevent anything from happening any worse, right? But if we have high blood pressure or heart disease, that's a physical illness, right? We're going to the doctor and we're gonna get treatment. We're gonna take medication. We're gonna have to change our lifestyle. It's the same thing with mental illness. And we have a professional for all other aspects of life, whether it's a doctor and a point saying that, you know, I think one of my trainers used to always say, it's better to have to do prehab rather than rehab. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think being ahead of those things and really tending to it, I think is, is what helps people, keeps people grounded and things like that. So, um, and one of my questions would also be in the work that you've done with many student athletes, you know, um, students in general, um, what have you found to be like a reoccurring um, challenge that um, most of these students tend to face? Reoccurring challenge. And it's interesting because I, I think I would answer that based on season, but And this goes back to my transitions, Um, depending on if I'm working with high school student athletes or college student athletes, transition to this world of work. Who am I in this world? Um, How do I make meaning in this world? What does basketball mean for me? But what are other aspects? So I'm really an existentialist in helping people make meaning of their experiences. So why am I going? So for me, when I was at Augsburg, I have uh, three different coaches in four years. Well, how do I make meaning of that? Why did I have to have three different coaches? 
the stress that I may be experiencing, the anxiety that I may be experiencing. So just really making meaning of whatever is going on in their life, whether it's personally, family-wise, or relational-wise. And in some of those, um, in some of those challenges, how do we then, you know, go about addressing some of those challenges as well? I know you talked about a bit about the transitions before. Um, right. but how do we go about addressing some of those challenges? So for me, I believe the answer lies within the person. I'm just a guide to help pull out. So I'm going to, I kind of divide my counseling in past, present, and future. Tell me about a time in the past where you may have something. How did you work through it? Let's, I did, so, you know, there's a whole theory that I use with transitions and there's four S's. Um, This is based on Nancy Schlossberg's theory of transitions. One, understanding yourself. So I'm helping my clients understand who they are, what they value, what they believe. The second thing is understanding their strengths and their skills. What skills do they have from the past that we can bring to the present? What skills might we need to enhance? The, sec- the third is identifying support systems. And that's sometimes a challenge because who was there for you as a support a- a- 10 years ago may be different now, or who was there for you as a support in high school is very different in college. So let's identify your current support systems, right? So we have understanding yourself, understanding your skills and strength, understanding your sports and understanding the situation. Let's understand the situation that's causing you challenges right now so that we can identify um, strategies to use who you are, use your skills and supports to manage the situation. Gotcha. So understanding the three, three S's here, understanding self, strength, skills, and your support systems. Yeah, four S's. Understanding yourself, your strengths and skills, your support systems, and understanding the situation. Situation, gotcha. Mm-hmm. That's important to note. Um, and this is more of a personal question. What do you find to be the, I guess, the most gratifying um, aspect of, you know, the job that you do? Mm-hmm. When the light bulb goes off and they say that it got it, but sometimes it doesn't happen in the here and now, I'll get emails. I got a message on LinkedIn, Dr. Tinsley, I know what you were trying to do. I finally got it. That's what's gratifying. So I know that my job is to plant the seed, right. nourish the seed, and then let it grow. Once I see it bloom, that's what's gratifying for me. That's amazing. That's amazing. You and I talking today is gratifying for Most me. Definitely. You and I saying in text <laughs> is gratifying for me. Most definitely. Most definitely. Um, so I just want to be cognizant of the time that we have left. Um, usually how um, I usually wrap up the show is, um, you know, leaving the audience with one piece of advice that you'd like to leave them. Um, what would that message be? Um, one piece of advice that I would like to leave them. Um, well, here's how I'm, I'm actually going to give a scripture, but you don't have to be Christian to understand the scripture. Mm. As iron sharpens iron, so does one person sharpen another. We are designed to be in relationship and there, we can't do this alone. So we got to sharpen each other in our career. We got to sharpen e- uh, each other in our relationships. We got to sharpen each other when it comes to our health and our personal growth and our professional growth. I like that. And uh, you just speak on something that's important there is that dependency. Um, I think, you know, God created us to be dependent upon each other and to be of service to each other. So 
Um, that's that's uh, solid advice. And um, yes. I just want to thank you again for, you know, taking the time out to, you know, share your time, share your knowledge. Um, and, you know, I continue, I wish you continued success and everything that you, you've done. And yeah. Thank you for having me and vice versa. I'm looking forward to seeing you grow and bloom. <laughs> And it's a process, don't give up. And I'm here with you. And uh, as I said, you know, anything you need from my end, just let me know. Gotcha, gotcha. Thank you. Thank you again for tuning into today's episode. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on IG at Press It Forward. And have a great day.